Well, grace and peace, Christ is love, church. Good morning, good morning. I don't know about you, but during that worship set, I was definitely caught up in the love of God, weren't you? Were you caught up in the love of God? Because that was what a beautiful, uh, just a beautiful morning of worship of the Lord uh, is like, just being caught up in the love of the Lord. Uh, if we have not met yet, uh, my name is Jacob Bell. I wanna go to Link serve as the community life pastor. Uh, so if we have not met yet, I wanna eat with you. I wanna go to Linkoya Cafe with you because that's typically where I go to eat. Uh, some of y'all know that, uh, that I'm always at least, wow, there's laughs to that. Uh, but yes, I love uh, meeting with you all and I love making much of Jesus with you all. So it is just so good uh, to be uh, just in this life, in this church. Uh, as uh, Pastor Beth said, Pastor Aaron is actually over with LifePoint Church. Uh, so man, it is just so good uh, to be here and to be in this space where Pastor Aaron uh, is preaching on Sundays. Uh, so I'm just super grateful for him. And real quick, this might be a little odd since he's out, but can we just give a round of applause to honor our pastor while he's out? Yes, he is an awesome and amazing pastor. Well, we're going to go right to it. If you can open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Uh, pastor Aaron actually started a sermon series last week called 15. And we are looking at just different chapters in the Bible, specifically the 15th chapter of looking how the Lord has been faithful. And the reason why we are doing that is to celebrate the fact that we as CIL are 15 years old. So it is just super cool that we are been this kind of church, that we are a church that is out, that is mobile, that is loving the Lord. Uh, but we will be in Exodus chapter 15 in just a few moments. But I tell you what, this week has been an incredible week at CIL. Amen. It has been an incredible week from uh, the next generation with movie nights and, and brunches and 200 men coming out for fellowship on the green. That was just an incredible night. Yeah, it was just a moving night. We have a wonderful and amazing night tonight, as Pastor Beth uh, was saying, but the Lord has been at work this week. The Lord has been at work. And one of the things that the Lord has been at work in is I have noticed this week that there have been a lot of anniversaries. There have been a lot of anniversaries. And here at CIO, we definitely celebrate healthy marriages, okay? We definitely celebrate healthy marriages. And one of those marriages that I'm personally celebrating uh, is, is Catherine and I's. We celebrate our fifth wedding anniversary uh, on Friday. And I tell you what, thank you. Uh, it was such a good time just to get out of town and to celebrate. But I tell you what, as anyone would probably tell you about a healthy marriage, uh, is that it has been full of celebrations, it has been full of conflicts. It has been full of complaints, more on my part. But what has been so beautiful, in fact, when I think about our wedding day, uh, two of the songs that we were just worshiping the Lord in were two of the songs that we sang uh, at, our, at our wedding. Uh, my best friend was leading Great Are You, Lord, and leading How Great Thou Art. And I was like, oh my goodness, uh, this, this is definitely catching me up in all the love, right? Um, but it was just such a special, special space that I remember that marriage isn't just making covenant between a man and a woman. But more importantly, it's about how God is making covenant with us and how he's made covenant with the married couple. And that's just who our God is, right? He is a God who makes covenant. He is a God who is always faithful. 
we have a God who is faithful to us. We have a God that he is just too sweet not to trust. He is just so incredibly faithful, even in moments of hopefulness and even in moments of hopelessness. We have a faithful God. And that is what we are caught up in in Exodus 15. We are caught up in how the Lord is faithful in the midst of celebrations and in the midst of complaints. So will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we look at Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. Exodus 15, verses 22 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. The people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. The Lord made a statute and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, if you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will not afflict any illnesses on you that I afflicted on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 date palms. And they camped there by the water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Anytime we are caught up in a really good show, right? Anytime we're on Disney Plus or on uh, just Amazon Prime or Netflix, right? Or anytime we're streaming a really good show, at the very beginning of the show, there's a little thing called a recap that happens at the beginning of the episode, right? There's a little button at the very bottom that says skip the recap. And I tell you what, I want to hit that button every single time because there's a new episode that I just want to jump right into, Right? But if we skip the recap, if we skip that moment, then we miss how we got here. We miss how we got to that episode. So in light of this passage, there's so much that has happened just in 22 through 27. But we can't just skip the recap and go straight to these verses. We have to see what the Lord has been doing with the people of God in the book of Exodus. So previously, right, in the book of Exodus, before Exodus 15, we see that God's promise has unfolded in Egypt. But it unfolded in such a way that the people of God never expected and never wanted to have. You see, the promise manifested in bondage. It manifested in bondage. There was this king in Egypt that after the people pilgrimaged to Egypt, that there was this king that was fearful of the number 
of the Jews, the number of the Israelites. Maybe we could even say was fearful of the promise of God. But because he was fearful of how many Israelites there were, that fear developed and grew up into hate. And that hatred turned into oppression. Yet that promise manifested in bondage as slaves, in a space of anxious production, in a space where they were fearful of their lives. The promise was that they would be as numerous as the stars. Yet it wasn't just as numerous as the stars, but as captive as slaves. As captive as slaves. They were in this life of bitterness, not a life of a promise recipient. They were in this life of bitterness because this is what they have become Slaves. But soon in the house of Levi, there was this this boy that was born. And we know this boy to be named as Moses. His name being, he drew him out of the water, drawn out of the water. That even this boy by sovereign grace was raised under the Pharaoh's nose. Just look at how the Lord had moved with the people of God by raising this boy under the Pharaoh's nose. But as he was growing up, some conflict happened and he had to flee from Egypt. Yet in this fleeing, the Lord remembered, remembered his promises, remembered his covenant towards the people of God. So Moses is in this space where the Lord is remembering and the Lord opens up this space known as the burning bush where the Lord shares with him his name. Because to share God's name was to say, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I'm going to identify with human suffering. So this God shares who this God is and then gives to Moses a divine mandate to go back to Egypt to say, let the people go. Set the captives free. So Moses goes back to Egypt and we see all these miracles happen in the land of Egypt. And then there was this mass exodus that broke out for the people to leave because Pharaoh finally let the people go. So the people walked through the Red Sea and coming out, even as the Egyptians began to pursue them, They were swallowed up by this Red Sea and the people were saved. So this is where we are caught up in Exodus 15. They are singing these songs, these worship to the Lord and they are right out of the Red Sea. See, that was important. We couldn't skip that. So now let's get to Exodus 15, okay? So Moses is with the people of God in this place of worship. They are singing some of the best worship hits, right? They're singing songs like, Lord, who is like you among the gods? Lord, you are faithful. You prepared this place for your dwelling place. There's all these songs that are being sung in Exodus 15. Yet from that place, from the place of worship, they turn to the wilderness. They turn 
to the wilderness. Now, this wilderness is not like Tennessee, okay? This wilderness is not like waterfalls and lakes. Put on your chacos and have a really good time on a Saturday and just go out into the wilderness, right? It's not that kind of wilderness. This wilderness is a dry wasteland, a dry, barren wasteland where it's dirt upon sand and sand upon dirt. That's the kind of wilderness that the people of God are finding themselves in. Not to mention, as they go into the wilderness, they couldn't find drinkable water for three whole days. Us Tennesseans can't go into the summer heat for three whole minutes without water. We just really can't. In fact, kind of like me, you're just sweating it up, right, out there in the heat because it might be sunny out, but the humidity is so much more than you anticipated. But in this wilderness, it's incredibly different. They had no drinkable water. And I don't want to skip past that. Here are some of the health impacts of what happens to a human being when they do not have drinkable water. The first thing is you go through mild hydration. Your body begins to shut down. It's not able to function properly. Your muscles begin to get stiff. It's harder to walk. The next thing that happens is you get tired. You get incredibly tired and you just can't move along. Next, your sweating begins to decrease. It begins to decrease because all of your body is trying to cool off, but there's no liquid left in your body. So your sweat begins to decrease. And even further than that, your blood begins to thicken, sometimes stopping the heart if you don't have enough water. Your brain and other organs begin to fail if you do not have enough water. So much research would even say that survival without water can be up to a week, but based off of a heat environment, you could only last two to four days without water. How many days are these guys out in the wilderness? Three days. Three days without water. Are you kidding me, Lord? We come right out of the Red Sea where you delivered and all this worship, you've been faithful, you've been doing all these miraculous things from getting us out of the Red Sea that you lead us here where there's no water. Are you, did you have a plan? Did you know what you were doing? Was was step one, just get us through the Red Sea? Step, Step two, we don't know. So imagine Imagine when they come up to this place called Mara and they see this big pool of water to only find out that it was bitter. That it was not drinkable. Can you sit in their shoes for just a second? Can you imagine being in that space three whole days without water and there it is, but you can't even drink it? The amount of energy they probably could even muster up was just to make a complaint to Moses. To just confront him and say, what is the Lord up to? Maybe you, like me, would grumble as well. 
So there was this confrontation towards Moses. There was frustration towards God. There was fear in the midst of unknown. Could we even trust this God? Three days after the Red Sea, and even though we were proclaiming, worshiping the Lord, all of his promises, three days after that miraculous moment, we were already ready to give up on the Lord. You know what this teaches us? That sometimes all it takes is a broken situation and all we want to do is crawl back into bondage. That sometimes all it takes is a broken situation and all we want to do is crawl back into bondage. When faced with the wilderness, we would rather go back into captivity where at least there might have been water rather than struggling in the freedom that God has for us. When faced with the wilderness, we would rather choose that. So the place of worship, we were that where they were at three days later became a place of bitterness. Became a place of bitterness. That even the water was known as Mara, but even as they were in that place, they became Mara. They became bitter. Maybe you have been in that space that you've been worshiping the Lord but the Lord was doing something that you could not understand. The Lord was making something behind the scenes, but you weren't in on those plans. So it was just so frustrating that you were in that space that you became Mara everywhere you walked. I'm in my home. Kids come up to you. You don't even say your name anymore. Hey, my, my, my name's Mara. I'm bitter. Your wife wants to check in on your week. Your husband wants to check in on your week. How's your day going? You even forgot your name because now you're Mara. You're bitter. You go into the workplace and it's a new week. It's a Monday after a Sunday. But because the Lord wasn't doing anything that you wanted to happen in your week, you walk into the workplace, say, hi, my name is Mara. That in that place, we have become bitter. That although the Lord moved back then and the Lord's not moving the way we think he ought to move now, we become bitter. Can I tell you something? One of the biggest lies about the Christian life is that when we say yes to the Lord, life is going to be easy. That is a lie from Satan. His strategy is to deceive us about God so that he can destroy our trust in God. But can I tell you something that is true? God's salvation does not guarantee a life without hardship. 
God's salvation does not guarantee a life without hardships. However, God's salvation does guarantee one thing, and that's God. God's hardships do, I mean, God's salvation does guarantee one thing, and that's that this God is going to be with you to the very end of the age. And there's not going to be a single circumstance that's going to get in the way of that. He's going to be with you. You're stuck with him. You're stuck with him because his love is attracted to you like a magnet. He's, he's, you're stuck with him. And it's in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that we see this Exodus story move from being a salvation story, move to being a formation story. That God was forming the people, not just to thirst for water, but to thirst for righteousness, but to thirst for his word, to be content with what the Lord says. Then even what this body needs He was forming them to thirst for something else. And that's him. That's him. So Moses receives this conflict. I've personally never received conflict from godly people. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never gotten that before. Maybe you haven't either. But God, uh, but Moses receives conflict. You know what the first thing he does when he receives conflict that maybe we should just, we should just see this part in the sermon. The first thing he does with that conflict is he goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. He intercedes. The first thing he does with something that is not right. He doesn't go out and complaining, but he goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He responds because the Lord is there in the wilderness, not far off, but there. So he goes to Moses and says, hey, go throw that wood in Mara, in that water. And what happens? It becomes drinkable. It becomes something that after three days, they could drink again. Other translations would say that it became sweet. That it became sweet. Only God could make something that's bitter and make it sweet. Only God can do that. But hear me, pay attention to this part in the story. Not only is this water transformed into something that's drinkable. Don't miss this because God, yes, indeed wanted to save the people from dying. But you know what this moment also was? It was a revelation of what God was going to do for all of creation. It was a revelation that not only am I going to save you from this situation, it was a revelation that I'm going to make new and restore everything that has been contaminated by sin, and I'm going to restore it by my word. I'm going to throw it in and make it sweet. It wasn't just a temporary moment of saving the people, but a revelation to the people that this is who I am. 
I am a God who restores contaminated, broken, messed up, gross, dark, hopeless situations. I am the God that restores all creation. There was the first time that the people of God, again, you have to remember like what we talked about in Exodus, they grew up in this culture where there were so many gods, so many guys that you would have to literally live as a slave, hoping that they would give a fertility of life, whether rain or food or whatever. This is the only kind of gods that they knew. But this God says he's a healer. This God says he's a healer. That was completely new. That wasn't in the script. That wasn't in the playbook that they got as soon as they walked into the wilderness. That this was going to be a God who heals. So Moses obeys. He obeys God's word. He obeys what God was doing in the midst because that is what God calls for in his restorative work is obedience. And his call to obedience was not because he is like Pharaoh. Hear me, God and Pharaoh are not the same, but rather His call to obedience was because he is to heal the nations. He is to heal brokenness and he is to heal us. He did not provide, not only does he provide life in the wilderness, okay? Not only does he provide life in the wilderness, but rather he is revealing the life that is to come. He's not only giving life in the wilderness where things are barren, but he is also revealing the life that is to come. Can I give you this word picture? This wilderness will one day become a garden again. This wilderness will one day become a garden once again. So what's your wilderness? What's your wilderness? What's your Mara that you've come to? What are you thirsting for? Did you know that Jesus empathizes with thirst? There's a story in John chapter four, while he is in this space where he had to go. He had to go to a different nation. And he meets up with this woman that oftentimes preachers don't give her grace. But she meets with this, that he meets with this woman 
And it says this in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. Jesus comes up to this woman and he says this, Give me a drink. Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank it himself and all did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Jesus is the one who quenches our thirst that sin and death created, church. Jesus is the one that ceases that thirst that sin and death had created. Maybe even follow this picture with me that this Jesus, how he makes the water of bitterness in our life become sweet again is that he is the one who gets on the tree. He is the one who gets on the stick and he throws himself into the water to make all things new. He is the one who does this so that not only can we be healed in this temporary moment, but that we could live on forever. The well is in your wilderness. The well is in your wilderness. It has been given in your wilderness and it is not just for healing your situation, but hear me, but for healing you from your sin from healing us from our sin. That the way that, this is just the gospel, friends, that the way that we experience this healing is when we say yes to the Lord. You are the one who makes all things new, that has made the things that have been contaminated, and you put your trust in that God. No other gods but that one. He is the one who makes life's water of bitterness and brokenness. Only he is the one who makes it living water. He is the one who is the living water that we drink. So we have this opportunity today as a church to remember that it is Jesus, even in the places of Mara, that it's Jesus who makes things sweet. It's an old hymn. You're probably thinking about it as I was talking about this text. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. 
Is it true? How I prove him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, to grace, to trust him more. In the wilderness, especially in the wilderness, there is grace to you. When given the opportunity to be bitter, choose grace. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to take 120 seconds to close our eyes, maybe open up your hands. And I want you to reflect on just a few things as as, as Brian comes up. Are you in a wilderness right now? Are you at Mara right now? How is the Lord showing up to you in your place of Mara? How is he reminding you that he's still God? How is he reminding you that he loves you? And you're not going anywhere without him. How is he reminding you that he doesn't abandon his covenant? How is he reminding you that he's with you right now? Let's just take a few moments and reflect on how God is with us.